is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Program. Now, very shortly, it will be time for everyone's favourite bedtime book balm, Slumber Time Stories. But first, it's that part of the show that dredges the smelly parts of the canal of light entertainment that other radio shows wouldn't touch with an eight-foot barge pole. Whatever can you mean, Theodore, I hear you asking. Well, dear listener, should there actually be any listeners, I mean naturally that eighth wonder of the modern world, the live listeners telephone-in quiz. Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Now, how this works, should anyone care, is thus. Oh. Ah. Oh. Right, well, um, i better delay my explanation as we have a listener calling in. Well, it'd better be a listener and not someone to speak to Mabel again. Ahoy, hoy. This is the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Theodore speaking. Good day to you, listener. Are you ready to play... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Rhubarb, it's Urban Trousers. Will you put that delightful filly of yours, Mabel, on the blower? <clears throat> Attention, as yet unidentified caller. Please note that this is a live radio show, and this is, supposedly, the pioneering quiz. Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? And I'm sure I don't need to add, it's a disciplinary offence for Albion Radiophonic Corporation employees to make use of the apparatus during this time. And I'm afraid you're breaking up a little bit there, caller. Please identify yourself again. Um, uh, 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 hello, uh, this is Luigi Engel uh, Finkelstein, uh, a totally unknown listener, uh, calling in to play at the aforementioned uh, quiz. Luigi Engler Finkelstein. Oh, that's a preposterously overwrought name. I suppose I should explain how the quiz works, since you are obviously not an employee of the radio company that might have actually been present in a production meeting. Yes, sir. I am a totally unknown person. Uh, Please to explain how the three clues work, as I have no idea. How do you know there are three clues, then? Uh, a lucky guess, sir. Uh, Well, let's hope so. I wouldn't want you to get into any trouble by finding out that you or one of your family members works for the ARC, as this quiz is only open to non-employees, on pain of losing their employment. Um, uh, Perhaps uh, I should be going. I think I hear a grandma calling me. Nonsense, nonsense, listener. I think you better stay right where you are and attempt to guess the answer to this quiz. After all, I don't think you'd like this instrument to be mentioned at next week's board meeting by any chance, would you now? Um, no. Uh, Perhaps you should read out the first clue for uh, three shillings? All, all in good time, Engler Finkelstein. First of all, let's find out a bit about you. I can't place your accent. Where are you from, Gawler? I'm Italiano, from a lovely Italiano place. Gold? Italiana uh, Town. Italiana Town, you say? Sounds lovely. Which part of Italy is that in? Uh, North um, Umbria Land. Italiana Town in North Umberland. Uh, 
Uh, well, that's that's most lovely. And tell me, dear previously unknown listener, what do you do for a living? Uh, I pick up the grapes for the lovely wine. You're a grape picker. Well, that's quite a menial job. The sort of thing a peasant would do. Uh, I suppose so. So you're probably quite dirty and maybe quite flea-ridden. So therefore, you're a grape-picking, dirty, flea-ridden peasant. Yes? Damn, you could say, eh? Oh, but I do say. Please confirm that you are a dirty, flea-ridden peasant of no worth to anyone. Oh, oh, what's that, Mabel? You hear the Director General approaching. You think maybe he'd like a chat with our listener, who is definitely not an ARC employee. No. Say it. No, I'm a dirty, flea-ridden peasant. A worthless human. A worthless human. Who smells really badly. Who smells really badly. Yes, yes, I, I, I can picture it now. Your rat-infested, flea-ridden peasant village, full of ugly, grizzled, scurvy-infested peasants. Oh, you must really be a burden on one to be from such a despicable place. <laughs> no? Well, that's all rather splendid. Now, listener, are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Uh, yes, I am. Shame, as we've actually run out of time. Goodbye, smelly peasant. Well, that was all unexpectedly enjoyable. <laughs> Did you get all that on wax, Mabel? <laughs> good, good. It really would be a shame if that ended up on the Christmas party gramophone. <laughs> oh, yes, dearie me. <laughs> and now on the light programme, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week, it's part two of our adventure yarn, Crash. ARC presents Part 2 of Crash by Darren Callan. The alien contraption was still in a state of non-operation, although there was the odd spark coming from its back. The great bronze machine was nearly two foot taller than the lanky Grenville, and he eased past it with great caution. His uh, ray gun trained all the time on the servant's door at the back of the parlour. That's not a real gun, you know, whispered his sister crossly, who, not wanting to be upstaged by her stupid brother, was following along behind him. He tried his best to ignore both her and the stewing butterflies in his tummy, and reaching the servant's door, which was wide open, peered through. Sure enough, just as Amelia had said, there was indeed a Martian in the corridor. It was a, a short, stubby thing in an extremely baroque and weird-looking spacesuit. It had its back to them, and all three of its strange stalked eyes were focused on a control box of some sort that it was currently bashing against the occasional table with what appeared to be a considerable amount of alien frustration. "'What's it doing?' muttered Grenville, with extreme nervousness. "'I, I think its control box is broken,' 
whispered Amelia back as they strained to see round the door. Finally, in a fit of extreme alien pique, the Martian threw the box on the ground and turned to the door where it saw the two faces peering earnestly at it in wide-eyed terror. Ah! They all cried in unison, and seemingly outnumbered, the alien turned and fled down the corridor. Quick! After it! yelled Amelia. Really? stuttered Grenville, feeling like he really favoured the telling mumsy idea more at this juncture. But too late! Amelia had set off and already reached and indeed picked up the sparking and steaming control box. What do you think is wrong with it? she asked, turning the dental metal box over in her hand. Before they had time to consider it further, the alien suddenly reappeared round the corridor, this time with an ugly-looking and really rather enormous laser rifle in its gauntleted hands. Its three eyes on their green protrusions stared at the children with what didn't look like it was an offer of friendship between worlds. It chanted something through its little sharp-toothed mouth, and shortly afterwards, a little grill on the front of its helmet crackled into life. Earth Dwarves, return my robot operations box, or I should laser you in twain. Oddly, the voice sounded rather more camp than threatening, and the children didn't really know what to make of it. Now that is a real laser gun, commented Amelia, as much to annoy her brother as anything else, although this did seem to be a salient point. Uh, run, offered Grenville. But Amelia was already gone, and with a yelp, Grenville dropped his pretend ray gun and ran after her. Back they haired through the parlour and past the still immobile Tribot, the alien in hot pursuit. Oh, I don't want to be lasered in twain, complained Grenville as he caught his sister, still clutching the control box. Oh, where now? The, the laboratory, ordered Amelia confidently. Papa will have something there we can use. He's always bagging on about weapons and things. Oh, if any of them actually work, countered Grenville morosely. But with the camp oath-chuntering alien approaching the door, it seemed like the best plan. So they scarpered sharpish down the corridor, past the kitchen and into the annex. Here they found the laboratory door also wide open and still not a soul in sight. Between them they managed to heave the heavy door closed and through the bolt. With their backs to the door, they could just make out the muffled clumping of the Martian and began to take in the cluttered laboratory with its workbenches, tools and chemicals laid out in chaotic fashion. Right, you find something to attack the Martian and I'll see if I can get the control box working, ordered Amelia, making towards a workbench to look for suitable tools. Grenville herumped to himself, since he was the Space General First Class, and Amelia didn't have any rank in the old Albion Space Command that he was aware of anyway. It seemed a bit rich for her to be issuing instructions. Still, he couldn't think of a better plan. Given that the Martian was now angrily rattling the door, it was probably best to crack on. He tried to rack his brain to remember some of the weapons and things that Papa had actually mentioned over supper and the like, but nothing much was springing to mind. In fact, the only things that seemed to be on offer were a mixture of chemicals in flasks and bottles. So he headed to look at the labels, 
and see if anything looked useful in the case of alien invasion. Fixed it, called out Amelia, with a distinct note of triumph. Grenfell looked back with a look of sarcastic disbelief on his face that his annoying sister could actually fix anything, and was about to mutter something equally sardonic to that effect. However, this ripping of his sister would probably have to wait, as without any warning, a sinister orange light beam sparked menacingly through the door as the alien, done with pointless shoving, opted to laser its way into the room instead. Apart from cutting through the door, the light also sliced its way through a nearby workbench, bouncing off a titanium trolley and cut an arc through the ceiling. Amidst a great shower of plaster, dust and steam, Grenville moved frantically to scrabble behind the chemicals cupboard, which was also mostly metal and might afford some small shelter from the lasering in twain that now seemed surely inevitable. He looked back for his sister through the settling smoke, but she and the control box were no longer at their station. Oh, he offered up a short prayer that she had also taken cover. He tried to control his breathing as the door was finally crashed off its hinges and clattered onto the floor, and he heard stomping as the alien entered the room, chuntering loudly to itself. The little bronze grill sparked up again in its oddly camp, yet still ominous tones. Earth dwarves, I'm flaking skin with annoyance to lay you twain words. It pronounced, somewhat cryptically. As the stomps of the alien came cautiously closer, Grenville began to read the labels of the bottles in the cabinet with the hope of finding something useful. Uh, carbolic soda, epoxy resin, distilled water, cherry punch, oh dear, he mumbled under his breath wishing that he'd made more effort to learn how to just read things in his head. Suddenly, his mutterings were cut short as he heard his sister scream and poking his head around the cupboard to see the alien bearing down on her and readying its rifle. Amelia! he called, and the alien looked his way with two of its three eyes. Before he could think of anything else to do, with a mighty crash, the Martian tribot suddenly stumbled into the laboratory, thumping mightily into the doorframe and nearly tumbling over. Grenfell realised to his surprise that the robot was, sort of, under Amelia's control as she frantically pulled the levers and clicked the switches on the box, trying to work out what each one did. Unhand, Grog, you detached brainstem robot device of increasing annoyance. Raged the camp tones of the Martian's translation grill as it grabbed the smaller space-suited creature and pinned his arms to its side. It seemed that Amelia was rapidly figuring out what the box did with the speed of discovery that only a child can manage. And this had bought them time to find a way to fight back. Grenville resumed his reading of labels in the hope of finding a weapon of choice or, at the very least, a last resort. Then hand at the large bosom of insistence your master, Grog, the mostly merciless, ranted the alien, as Grenville ran his fingers across the myriad of flasks and vessels until his eyes alighted on one that read, This does something really good, but I can't remember what. Oh, that'll do, muttered Grenville, more in resignation than anything else, and picked up the hand-sized flask containing a disgusting-looking brownish liquid.
The alien was still in the grip of the tribot, but seemed to be slowly forcing the arms apart in order to escape. Without waiting for more pronouncements, Grenville hurled the flask at the glass dome of the alien and it smashed across it, releasing a sickly brown gas that quickly expanded to fill the whole laboratory. A puny attempt at pacification, Earth Dwarf, mocked the translation grill in its odd tones. It's got a spacesuit on, you idiot. That's not going to work, shouted Amelia from the other side of the room. No, thought Grenville, deeply annoyed that his sister was probably right. However, it seemed that perhaps the Martian suit was actually taking in some of the atmosphere, as the brown gas seemed to be getting into the helmet. A grog is not scared by your brown emanation, started the alien grill, before adding, I do feel rather tired, though. Night all. Followed by a loud snoring noise, as the alien gave every appearance of having fallen into an instant and deep sleep. Having taken great lungfuls of the brown gas themselves, Amelia and Grenville looked at each other blankly, not feeling particularly sleepy themselves. However, for the life of them, they couldn't remember how they had come to be in the laboratory and quite what was going on. There was a great commotion from outside the laboratory, and a clearly distressed Papa Lushthorpe suddenly crashed into the room, accompanied by two flintlock armed servants. He took in the whole room scene, the snoring alien lovingly in the arms of its robot, the last few wisps of the pretty much dissipated brown gas, and the two staring, wide-eyed children. Children, are you not harmed? he inquired through heaving breaths. I'm, I'm fine, Papa, muttered Amelia, and Grenville nodded too as his father glanced between them both. What in God's name has happened here? spluttered Papa. This alien's in some sort of coma, came another voice that uh, he did not recognise. Oh, I don't know, Papa, muttered Grenville, looking very shocked himself. How did we even get here? What are those things? I feel weird. And he truly did. Not so much through sickness, but more a deeply unsettling feeling that he really didn't understand how he came to be in this situation. The last thing he could remember was going to bed, supposedly the previous night. And now he was in his father's laboratory amongst wreckage, aliens, robots and staring wide-eyed adults. He saw stars, and his vision started to swim alarmingly. Then he fainted, cold out. Grenville! Grenville! There was a voice from somewhere, muffled and indistinct, accompanied by a shaking vibration. He realised his eyes were gummed shut, and he was struggling to open them. It was also unbearably hot, and grimy sweat was running down his face. He had no idea where he was, or what was happening. Sir Lashthorpe, we need to get you out! The rocket is on fire! The voice was of an earnest-sounding young woman. He managed to ply one eye reluctantly open, and stared towards the sound through a glass visor of some sort. Sure enough, it was indeed a young woman, in a spacesuit, with the helmet removed. She was tugging at his straps, where they attached to some sort of complicated-looking seat. 
Uh, Amelia? He gobbled through dry lips. No, sir, replied the girl, sounding confused. It's Ellen. Are you all right? We need to get you out urgently. Memories started to drift back to him. The weird feeling of deja vu persisted, though. Ellen! Oh, thank God! Yes, help me up! began to use his arms to help extricate himself from the chair. Are you hurt? Oh, nothing that won't mend, he mumbled, pushing up the helmet visor so he could see more clearly the wreckage of mangled machinery around him. He shook his head, but the deja vu just wouldn't shift. Oh, I've had the strangest dream, though. And with that, more arms, and a cat, arrived and assisted Ellen in removing Sir Grenville Lushthorpe from his gigantic crashed rocket to safety. To be continued. Well, what an exciting tale that was! Goodness only knows what further excitement there is to come. Oh, I'm not sure my heart can take it. Well now, on that alarming note, good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a bright future. All stories, voices and characters created by and copyright to Darren Callow. All music by Charlotte Savigar. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic Corporation. <laughs>